0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmanuelAG.com. I'm excited today. we got a special guest that I want to I have a privilege of introducing. Uh, we're going to have a few guests over the next few weeks. Uh, Meshach in a couple of weeks, who's not here today, rightfully so. The baby was just born yesterday. So they, he, he gets this one off. He gets to stay home today. But uh, celebrate with them. The, everyone's healthy. Bethany, uh, Kairos, everyone is healthy. And so he'll be preaching though in a couple of weeks. Uh, but today we have a friend, I would say, of, of our families for a long time. I was trying to go back, BJ, and think how long it's been. It's at least been 15 years, maybe longer, um, that I got to know you, your family, uh, just through Kiko. And so, honored today that we've got BJ Shockey coming to share the word with us this morning. Would you make him feel welcome? Thank you. Thank you. We've got to figure it figured out. All right. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to share here today. I was also thinking as I was preparing this, you know, it's been probably a couple of years since uh, I've actually got an opportunity to preach, so I'm really excited. And um, I've got here 47 pages of notes that I'm going to be going through. So, but it's okay. I asked Michael how long I could preach today, and he said that I could go as long as I wanted to. But at lunchtime, everybody would be leaving, so when I'm done, just turn off the lights (laughs) and lock the door, so (laughs) we we won't go that long, no. But uh, I just want to, again, thank you for the opportunity. Good morning, everybody, and greetings from my wife. I think everybody knows my wife, Rin Kim. She's there in the back, and my two children, Abigail and Benjamin. But what you might not know is um, what I do for a living is I have a a custom cabinet business. We do uh, custom cabinetry. I'm in partnership with my dad and we do kitchen remodels and bathrooms and those types of things, and we meet with couples all the time who come in to to pick. You know, with, with everything going on, on now with uh, like HGTV and Pinterest and everything, there's just so much information out there. Everybody comes in just overwhelmed with ideas, and they just have to work through this process to get kind of you know where they're gonna end up because everybody ends up in the same place, but you have to let them work through the process But sometimes they'll come in together. Sometimes he'll come in without her or vice versa, and they'll speak for the other person. And they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, he'll love this. But then when he comes, he's like, I don't like that at all. Have you ever been there? Anybody ever been there? When you speak for somebody else and they don't back you up, right? Kind of embarrassing. Uh, It's really bad if you're in a customer service type job and you think you're enforcing customer policy, right? and your manager comes in and does not back you up. Anybody been there? Yeah, humiliating is the word that I could think of. That's actually bad management, isn't it? My kids do it all the time. My daughter's older, and she thinks she can speak for mom and dad to her younger brother all the time. And so sometimes, you know, we back her up, we really do. It's like, that's right, Benjamin, don't put rocks in your mouth. But sometimes he goes too far. She goes too far, and she says things that we really don't care about. It's like, no, Abigail, no, that's Benjamin's toy. We told him, he could play with it, it's okay, because she's gone beyond what our intentions are. See, as long as you're speaking for somebody else, you have to stay within what their intentions are and their desires are. Once you step out of that, you no longer represent them, right? So what I wanna do is I wanna open up with the scene. Everybody knows the Israelites are camped by the sea, they're kind of blocked in by the terrain. Egypt's army is bearing down on them. And the Israelites start complaining. And Moses takes the opportunity to speak for God. And here's an instance where it looks like God didn't back him up. So if we have the... you following me with verses? The first verse is from Exodus 14, 13, and 14. And this is what Moses said. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Somebody say, stand firm. All right, just want to see how responsive we are. I do that every once in a while. So I just want to know if you don't respond, then I'll just quit saying that because it's embarrassing. So, so thank you so much. Uh, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Only to be silent. I think they were complaining so much. Moses at this point may have said anything to get them to be silent. But he said, stand firm. And I love Moses here because, you know, when they were in this situation, they were here because they were following God. They left Egypt after a series of judgments on Egypt's gods, the ten plagues. Then they were following God through the desert, following the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that lit the way so much the whole, the whole group could travel by night. And then as far as Moses... God spoke to Moses in complete sentences. How's your prayer life? God speaks to Moses in complete sentences. He says, I want you to go here, camp here, do this, do that, in complete sentences. God, Moses knew that God brought them to this point. And he said, stand still. The Lord's going to fight for you. And I love how he just throws it right up to God. God, we're here. You brought us here. Do your thing. But God throws it right back on Moses. In the next verse... The Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Moses said, stand firm. But God said, go forward. Go forward. And I believe that God's deliverance, well, obviously, God's deliverance for them in that moment was in going forward, not in standing still. And I believe that the the directive for the church, even today, is go forward. If we stand still, stand firm, the culture passes us by, we make ourselves irrelevant. The church needs to move forward. It's ever since Jesus stood there and gave the Great Commission, He's standing on that mountain, and He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Go, therefore. Go. It's a go. Even in times of great difficulty, the church is always advanced. And I believe the message for us today as a church is, Go forward. And as individuals within the church is go forward. He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you see the scope of the mission is what? All nations. The whole world and he he stood there and he had preached in Galilee and he was known as far as Jerusalem and he went to Jerusalem and he was crucified and he stood there having impacted such a little tiny sliver of land and the earth and he said hey this movement is about to go global the directive is to go into all the world and as far as time he says I am with you always till the end of the age so until he comes, until this age ends, this directive is to go forward. Somebody say, go forward. go forward. It's like when Jesus got in that boat to go to the other side of the lake and the, uh, the disciples were there. And he says, let's go to the other side. He gets in the lake. They start their way out and Jesus, being tired, falls asleep. And then the storm comes up. Well, well of course there's going to be a storm because the devil doesn't work with us. He opposes us. If we're doing things for God, we're going to see resistance. We're going to think. But here's the thing it didn't bother Jesus the way it bothered the disciples, did it? It's because the disciples went to a different school than Jesus. They went to fisherman's school. They were very smart in their craft. They knew what a storm like this would do. They've probably grown up hearing stories and seeing storms like this and hearing of people who lost their lives in the exact same circumstances. And so they were not ignorant as far as the ways of the sea and the lake and the fishing business and how their boats work, But they didn't know what Jesus knew. So they wake up Jesus and they said, Don't you care? Don't you care? We're perishing here. And Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and then he turns around and he rebukes the disciples. It's like he was as irritated with their unbelief as he was with the storm itself. It's because the biggest hindrance to going forward with God is not the storm. It's our lack of faith. It's our lack of trust in God. So we need to go forward. So Moses is standing there. And God says to him, Moses, take that staff I've given you and hold it out over the sea and part the sea. What is that staff that Moses carried? That staff represents my authority. That staff represents my presence, my power. Use what I have given you and take the people of Israel forward. And what has Jesus done? He's given us the authority of His name. He's given us the commission. He's given us the word of His power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And He says, my church is to go forward. We don't want to be standing still and standing firm when God is saying, go forward. Now in that verse, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Question, Why did Jesus need authority given to him? Didn't he make everything? We know from from the song, you were the word in the beginning, right? We know from the scripture that he was the one who created everything. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that had been made. So why did Jesus need authority given to him? Well, according to Genesis 126, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. I don't have them to go up on the screen. Genesis 126 and Psalm 8 he actually put mankind in charge of all his creation, right? And when Adam sinned and disobeyed, he handed it over to the devil. That's why in Luke 4, you see at the temptation, Jesus is, the devil is coming to Jesus saying, look at all these kingdoms. He showed them all the kingdoms in a moment in time and said, all these I will give you if you'll bow down and worship me. See, that had to be true, because if that weren't true, it wouldn't have been a temptation, so something happened from the time that the devil was tempt- tempting Jesus to this point where Jesus is standing here and says all authority has been given to me. Let me ask you this, if Jesus has all authority, how much authority does the devil have? If we go to Abaneros and I eat all the chips, how many chips are left for you? I'll eat those chips. I can do it no no the devil has no authority what he does is he does what he can get away with but here's another question if all authority has been given to Jesus then how much authority do you have technically you don't have the authority yourself you have his authority being in him that's where your authority comes from there are people who say you know I've opened the door to the devil and I gave him authority to do such and such in my life and it's like not really it's not really your authority once you stepped over into that you stepped out of the one who's giving you the authority to operate in and he doesn't back that up he's not giving his authority to the devil the devil doesn't see the devil's a thief right if he had authority he wouldn't be a thief if you had authority you'd probably have a key and you'd go in and take what you wanted but the thief comes in, he breaks in, comes over the fence, kills, steals, and destroys because he doesn't have authority. That's the thing that makes him a thief. All authority is Jesus, belongs to him. We are in him, so we operate in heaven's authority. It's just like a policeman. When, uh, whenever you know, a policeman stops you, I got, a, I got a speeding ticket once, I had a Camaro. I promised the Camaro, it could sit in a parking lot, and you could put a radar on it, and it would indicate about 15 mile an hour. It really looked good. And I was driving, and I was not, he didn't, I wasn't, I don't know if I was speeding a little bit, but I wasn't doing what he said. It was in one of those places where, where they were uh, just stopping everybody. And so I was, I was in line. So I knew I didn't do it, so I went to court to fight it. And it was a, I'm, I'm, it was a weird feeling, because I pled not guilty. So they gave me, a, asked for a trial. And so when they say the people versus Brent Shockey, I was like, I feel like the enemy of the state here or something. It was so it was a weird thing to hear. But that policeman, that district attorney, they were operating in the authority of that county. They were elected officials, so they represented the people. And that's the extent of their authority. That policeman wasn't free just to go out, out of his county in plain clothes and stop people and give them tickets. There was nobody to back him up. But as long as he was operating with the intent of the people and the government that elected him, he could stop me, give me a ticket, the DA could bring charges. In this case, they were wrong, and thank God the case was dismissed. But they operated, you operate in the kingdom of heaven's authority, in Jesus' authority. It's not your authority, it's his authority. And when we speak the words of Jesus, he backs us up. So, what happened at the cross then? We get a look at that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Means Jesus took on himself a body. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. See? Through death, through his death on the cross, he destroys the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The legal side of our salvation happened was taken care of here at the cross. A lot of theology as you read it deals with the legal side. It deals with being declared to be in the right with God. We have been justified, declared to be righteous. <clears throat> Excuse me. We've been adopted. Probably Michael and Candy could talk about adoption more than any of us but you've been adopted that's a legal action now you maybe have absolutely loved that child tell me if i'm wrong you've loved that child you treated them like your own but at that point of adoption a legal transaction happens now where you speak for that child as the parents and nobody has to look over your shoulder it's a legal thing and god who loved us could take care of us with a legal transaction at the cross now he can go after us right you have been healed legally by his stripes You have been legally forgiven from sins because he bore them away, right? Good stuff. But, you know, the thing that makes that work in our lives is not the legal thing. That was necessary. But what makes it work for us is the continued ministry of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That's the vital side, the living side of this whole thing. We needed to be rescued. We need those things that are legally ours to become real in our lives. That's why the book of Acts starts with this verse. If you have Acts, um, I think it says Acts 21, but it's Acts 1, verses 1 and 2, if I got that wrong. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, got the right one? Yeah, Acts 1, if you can change that or just turn that off. That's not what I'm using. I realized I had a typo. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Okay, Now, Luke is the author of two New Testament books, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Okay, So the first book he's referring to is the Gospel of Luke, which deals with Jesus' birth, his ministry, until the time when he was taken up to heaven. So you get the idea of reading this when he says... I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, until the time that he was taken up, he began something. But it wasn't finished. The book of Acts, from this point on, and as you read it, you find this to be true, it deals with what Jesus continued to do in his ministry at the right hand of the Father jesus continued see that's why that first miracle in acts is so important in acts three where they healed the the lame man at the gate beautiful it's so important not because the disciples healed somebody because they healed they did a lot of miracles when they were following jesus jesus even had 72 people he sent out he told them to heal the sick in the towns you go in and proclaim the gospel raised the dead they were all doing miracles all over the place but at this point what has changed is Jesus is ascended he's at the right hand of the Father and the question is will his ministry continue through the church and the answer is by this miracle yes this was a testimony to to the Pharisees the Sadducees the disciples the angels the demons the principalities and powers that yes the ministry of Jesus will continue through the church through the power of the Holy Spirit and that is the age that we're living in now that is the age that will continue until he comes jesus predicted this john 14:12 truly truly i say to you whoever believes in me will also do the works that i do and greater works than these will he do because i'm going to the father john 16:7 Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's better for you if I go, because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. Do you see, Jesus saw this expansion of his ministry at the right hand of the Father, where he can work through the church. There's an interesting passage in the, in the book of John. If you want to look it up with me, it's John twelve twenty. And there's some Greeks who want to see Jesus. 12.20. So th- there, were some, uh, there were some Greeks who went up to worship at the feast. 21. So these came to Philip, who was, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip together went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I think Philip maybe said, "Um, Jesus, they're Greeks, they're not farmers. We're not really looking for an agriculture lesson here. We kind of know how seeds work. But what's Jesus really saying? He says, the time has come for me to be glorified. And right now you're looking for me because I'm a single kernel of wheat. But if I fall to the ground and die, you're going to see Jesus everywhere. Because I'll be able to work through my church. And if you can get to any one of these who follow me, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can get to me. Jesus will be everywhere. In light of this, in light of what Jesus commanded us to do, in light of his presence with us, we've got to go forward. We've got to move forward. We need to move forward in faith. Hebrews 10, 38, and 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. See, no shrinking back. Do not shrink back in faith, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Faith is an interesting thing. There's so many sermons on faith. And faith, obviously, is believing God to do the impossible. You see people who came to him in the Gospels, and he'd say, Great is your faith. And they would receive miracles according to your faith, according to how you believed. But you know, when you look at faith in the Bible, especially in the context of, of Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody familiar with the faith chapter? Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, the heroes of faith. You see that what makes them faithful is just the simple fact that they ordered their lives in accordance with God's character and purpose and what he was doing. Faith is how I live my life. It's not just great moments of believing. Faith is how I live every day. See, what else would be in what else would Joseph have in common with Rahab the prostitute? The faith, in the faith chapter, chapter 11, it says that Joseph spoke of the Exodus and gave orders concerning his bones. That's what got him in the hall of faith. Rahab, on the other hand, received the spies. And she's in the hall of faith. What's, what's similar between that? Where's the great exploits and all that? Joseph did a lot. Of awesome things in his life so what's the similarity between the two well it's this Joseph believed that Israel was going to inherit the land and so he made arrangements he spoke about when you go take my bones 400 years later as Israel's coming across and they're about to enter into Jericho Rahab was convinced that Israelite was going to have the land Israelites were going to have the land and she made a deal accordingly in light of what she believed That saved her and her family. So they ordered their lives in accordance with what God's intentions and purposes were. Noah believed God was going to send a flood, so he built an ark. That was a smart decision, right? Uh, Abraham believed that he would be a father of many nations. And so he went out to a land where God would show him. Enoch, get this, Enoch just believed that God existed and that he would reward him if he sought him. That's what got him not only in this chapter, that's what made him translated. He was taken. He didn't have to die a physical death. God took him. God saw that as faith. Faith is so simple. It's just how I live my life. It's our right response to his faithfulness. That's what faith is. Faith is how I, it's how I spend my time and my money. It's what I do with my free time. It's the kind of occupation I choose. It's how I do that occupation after I choose it. It's who I hang out with and for what reasons. It's how I order my life in light of His coming. We must move forward in faith, which is our right response to His faithfulness. So how should we order our lives in light of His coming? Look at, look at 1 John 3, 3, 2-3 with me. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We need to move forward in purity. Purity is another area. And yes, I am speaking of holiness, being separated unto God. But holiness today has a lot of connotations of rule-keeping. Right, You need to dress this way if you'll be holy, or don't say these things, or say this. But I like the word purity just for this moment, because purity, everybody knows what purity means. Purity means no mixture. It means one thing. Anybody in here like a health food nut? Health food food junkie? Is that right? Health food connoisseur? When you go and you look at those ingredients, what do you do? You look for things that have natural ingredients with no additives no bhp bha bht all that kind of stuff right that's why when i go get a snack i look for something with pure sugar <laughs> but even then technically pure sugar is when you go down the baking aisle and you get a bag of what sugar with nothing else in it right you know you go around town and you see the the signs at the Weigels. they say 100 percent gas right what does that mean no ethanol No mixture, because that ethanol gets in your carburetors and gums it up. So if you have an old car or you have a lawnmower, you want to run pure gas, no mixture. Pure gold is what? Gold that has had all the impurities boiled out. There's nothing left in there but gold. It's pure. And the more pure it is, the more valuable it is. You know, God says to seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. We can be like the Gentiles. We can seek the things and then we'll never have the kingdom. But he says if you seek the kingdom, you'll have the things that you need as well. Jesus said that it's the pure in heart who see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So we need to move forward in faith and faithfulness. We need to move forward in purity. And we need to move forward in prayer. Look at these verses with me. Actually, it's one verse. I put three translations up. Ephesians 6.18 In the ESV says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. The NIV says it a little different. It says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. All kinds of prayers. The King King James says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And so what I want to deal with is two aspects I see here. The idea of all kinds of prayers. There are so many different ways to pray. I mean, my prayer life looks so different than Rinkim's prayer life. My prayer life doesn't even look the same as I don't always do the same thing consistently. There's so many different ways to pray. There's all kinds of prayer. I could say here, I could stand here and say, you need to have a time every day where you pray, and that's probably good. But I don't want to tell you what to do that way because it's going to look different than mine. It's just, it's just going to be different. There are prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of adoration, prayers of supplication, making requests, consecrating our lives, prayers of consecration. Uh, sometimes when I pray, I, I uh, like to start off just praying the Word of God and it kind of works as a hook and just starts pulling things out of me that I get to pray for. Other times I'll pray in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, and I'll just pray that way and then as things come to my mind, I pray them out. Sometimes I walk when I pray. Sometimes I find a quiet room and close the door, my garage or something, and I pray. It always looks different. But what I want to really concentrate on here as I speak of moving forward in prayer is the phrase, in the spirit. What we need to do is to protect the awareness of that real tangible connection that we have with the Father. And if you listen to how I said it, I said protect the awareness of it, because if you're born again, if you're in the family, you have that already. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. It's the most natural thing for you to hear his voice. So what, you're, what I'm saying is you don't have to try to hear his voice, but you need to protect the awareness that his voice is there, and it's there for you to hear. And sometimes what we might have to do is unplug from some things of the world. We got to go camping. Thank you. We got to go camping a few weeks ago, and... Uh, You know, you're out there in this, my kids loved it, it was their first time, it was so cool. But you're out there, and there's all this nature around you, and it's absolutely gorgeous. It's the most natural thing in the world to hear it. You're just there, you absorb it. But my wife, um, she works um, on the phone. Uh, She's an interpreter, and so she's got these nice headphones, these equipment that's, That's noise-canceling headphones. You put those on, and electronically, it just makes everything around you disappear. It's the most amazing thing. This sounds so neat. So imagine if I'm out there in the woods camping, I put those on and play some music through an MP3 player. Am I going to enjoy the nature that's there? I'm not. It's not because the nature's not there. It's because I've given my attention to something else. That's what I mean when I say protect the awareness of this unplug from some things so that you can hear what is already there he's already in you we moved uh, just a little over a year ago across town and in our old house we had a street light that was in the front yard that lit up the whole front yard and half the back now i'm from the midwest so i love the skies i mean there's nothing out there but the skies it's just all flat and i i love watching the stars but the whole time we were there i mean we were lucky if the moon was bright enough you'd see the moon But where I live now, there's no street lights on the road. They have all the utilities underground. We love sitting in the backyard and just looking at the sky. We were looking at Mars a couple of days ago, and Rinkin was taking pictures of it. It's just so neat, and I missed that. But the stars were over my old house, too. I couldn't see them because of the distraction of the other light that was there. I'm gonna gonna tell you this, because some of you guys make fun of me for this, but this is my cell phone, okay? And you all think that I'm not sophisticated and I'm not technical. I know. I know how you think. But I actually had a smartphone. And unfortunately, this thing is about to die, I think. It keeps coming off. and I have to bang it to get it to work again. But it still works. Four years ago, I made the decision that I got tired of doing this. I said, I don't think I'm listening to God anymore. I'm not listening to even my own spirit speak to me. Because every time I sit down to take a break, it's this. I go to a restaurant and eat lunch, it's just this. I got tired of it, so I did this on purpose. And yeah, there was a little withdrawal at first, but I'm telling you what, I started hearing things in my own heart that I was missing because I was distracted by my smartphone. Now, don't, don't condemn me if I get back the smartphone back. I won't condemn you for your smartphones. I'm not telling you what to do. But for me, for me, I needed to do that for a season. And it's been about four years. But it's been good. But I have a tablet, too, so I, I, can, still, I can still be in touch. So, <laughs> And it's a temptation, too. I started leaving it home on purpose just for the exact same reason. But we need, to, um, we need to move forward in prayer. Jesus said when you pray, he said, don't be like the hypocrites who make lengthy prayers to be seen by men. He also said, don't be like the Gentiles who think they're going to be heard by their meaningless repetition. But when you pray in Matthew 6.6, 6, when you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. So you're not praying with your window open so people going down the street in your village life back then would see you. You go into your inner room, you close the door so nobody hears you, you pray to your Father who is in secret. Let me ask you this, what kind of value does that prayer have if it's not real? that's if, if it's not something that is a real connection to the father there is absolutely no value in praying like that but Jesus says your father who sees in secret will reward you because it's a real tangible connection with God James 5 16 says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much so we need to go forward in prayer and finally we need to go forward in humility 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7 says that we should clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is actually saying that how we treat one another and how we react and interact with one another determines whether God extends grace to us or opposes us. There's a grace. That we will never walk in if we don't learn how to walk in humility toward one another the next part says therefore humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you humbling ourselves before God puts us in a place to receive the miraculous because he says, if I humble myself before him, he will exalt me. If I exalt myself, that's not miraculous. See, when we go forward as a church, if we can just do whatever everybody else can do, that's, that's not what Jesus intends. It's not the miraculous. We need to be in a place where God is working through us, doing only what he can do. And one of the ways to position ourselves for the miraculous is to humble ourselves before God. It continues and it says casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you i never saw this connection between humility and casting your cares on him but then i did because if i try to keep the care for myself that's pride that's saying i don't trust you god i'm going to handle this myself but if I learn how to let go and say, God, I humble myself before you, this is yours. I've had to learn to do this over the last several years because I'm the kind of person, if something bad at work would, would happen, I'd get, you know, somebody say, all oh, the cabinets are wrong or, or the customer didn't want that, they wanted something else. I'd get all upset. Who did it? Whose fault it is? And I'd start getting just worked up over it. More and more, I've learned how to, just to let go and say, you know what? That's the first report. I don't know. I'm going to just let God work in this. I'll deal with it when I have to, but I'm not going to just take that care, the first thing. That was my first response, was to take that care. Now my first response is just to let go, step back. Half the time, it's usually a wrong report. They're trying to put the cabinet in the wrong room or something like that, you know. Um, and other times, you know, it just works out. It's over and over. it works. It's the weirdest thing. It just works out. I had a, a situation where Rin Kim and I, I've had to learn how to do this with Rin Kim too, because last Christmas, she came to me and she said, um, I, I just really feel I want to help some of the, in case you don't know, my wife is from India, and uh, where where her parents live there, where she grew up, there's a lot of villages out who are still kind of in the jungle, they're isolated, they're they're poor, and uh, she said, I just feel like I want to send some blankets and coats back home, I want to buy them and provide them for the, the poor people in India. And my first reaction, she can testify to this, in our first half of our marriage was, where am I going to get the money? Our budget's already maxed out. And because and I, I take it upon myself, where am I going to get the money? How am I going to do it? How am I going to come up with the money? That's my first reaction. But I've learned two things. One, I've learned how to cast the care on God. And secondly, I've learned how to listen to her because God speaks through her. And you've got to bless humbling yourselves to one another. You've got to believe that God can speak through your spouse your people in your church people in your lives God can and I've had to learn to listen to what God is saying through her and so instead of taking it, I just said okay let me pray about it let me listen to God let me think about it and you know what I didn't really go on my knees like I said there's all kinds of prayer I didn't go on my knees and start fasting and asking the Lord for the direction what I did was I positioned my heart to hear him in this manner I didn't close the door say we can't do it I just left my heart open The very next day, I said, ring him. She goes, what? And these words start coming out of my mouth. I said, why don't we? Okay, let me back up real quick and tell you what she does. She interprets for a living. She contracts over the phone. So different people call her throughout the day. And um, she contracts for four different companies. And she does a lot of medical interpretation and things like that. Well, normally, at that time anyway, we didn't get many calls for her in the evening so i just said rid kim she said what i said why don't we just dedicate everything say after six o'clock that comes in for a certain amount of time that we'll just give that money to this cause and and just give god a chance to do something if he wants to do it if this is from god he'll help us and uh she said okay that's good so we i think we it was like 10 days or something we just allocated 10 days everything that comes in after six o'clock and i'm telling you what twice as much came in where she wasn't getting calls before in 10 days twice as much came in twice as, twice what we hoped for and we were able to buy both the coats and the blankets and be a blessing there because I learned how to humble myself before her humble myself before God and not take the care and allow God to do a, a supernatural in our lives because if we would have just scrambled and tried to figure out how to make it probably those calls wouldn't have come in at that time they weren't it was she gets calls occasionally through the night but at that time she wasn't doing almost, almost anything. And so humble yourselves before God and let God exalt you. There is rest in humility. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you And learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light we need to move forward in humility now Moses the Bible said was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth as for a prayer life you know, God spoke to him face to face. As for purity, the Bible says the pure in heart see God. Moses saw God. As for faith, the faith chapter of Hebrews 11 has um, 40 verses. Seven of those 40 verses are about Moses. So he was faithful in the house of God. And he was the one who stood there and parted the red sea one of the most famous miracles ever. See, if we can only do what the world can do, we've forsaken the miraculous that only God can do. But He wants to do it. He wants to do it through us. All of these things, faith, purity, prayer, and humility, position us to receive the supernatural and to operate in the miraculous. They're not rules to be followed. It's not like you have to pray a certain amount of time to get here It's working these things into our lives is the kind of person that God works through when He brings about His kingdom. When God wants to advance His kingdom in the earth, He doesn't do it like the other nations. He doesn't send in the tanks and the bombs and the guns and the armies. Here's how God works. He sends in the poor in spirit. He sends in the mourners, the gentle. He uses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. These are the kinds of people he works through to bring about his kingdom. Are you on board? On board. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have empowered us by the Holy Spirit to move forward and to carry out your plans on the earth. We thank you for what you are doing. And Lord... I commit my life to continue in these areas. I can commit my life to become a man of faith, purity, prayer, and humility. Father, thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. so glad you've taken the time to listen if you're ever in our area we invite you to join us for one of our worship services for times and locations please visit at emmanuelag.com